Hello and welcome to Mars Messina Presents. This is Mars and today is Saturday, March 11th, 2023. We have reached episode 99. And for episode 99, we are going to take you back to your human physiology class and we will address the multifaceted integumentary system of the human body and how you can help it help you. With an average area of about 22 square feet and a weight of 10 to 11 pounds, the skin, yes, the skin, which is also called the integument, is the largest organ of the body. A lot of people don't think of skin as being an organ. But once you understand how it's built, how it's structured, and, and um, how it functions, you can see that it is definitely an organ. But it is the largest organ of the body. Because we can see it, and because it serves as the body's outer shell, we easily understand that the skin covers us and protects our internal organs from injury. But skin has several other important functions, including protection against dehydration, body temperature regulation, sensory reception, me metabolic function, blood reservoir, absorption, and even excretion. The skin does everything. So it's vital to know about it and to know how to keep it uh, healthy. The integumentary system forms a physical barrier, of course, between the external environment and the internal environment that it serves to protect and maintain. In addition to protecting internal structures and guarding against dehydration, this extraordinary organ system also stores fat. It produces vitamins and hormones, for example. The skin synthesizes vitamin D when exposed to the sun. Vitamin D, and it is crucial to human life. Vitamin D is absorbed through the skin, not only from the sun, but also through, through supplementation. Some, you know, like a vitamin D pill that you take orally or food that's fortified with vitamin D. Vitamin D acts like a hormone. It is so critical to function of your bones, of your nerves, your muscles. Um, it guards against disease. So we do need a lot of vitamin D. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But it's through the skin that we get our vitamin D because the body does not make its own. Um, but like I said, we'll talk more about the sun and vitamin D in a bit. Anyway, um, the integumentary system helps to maintain homeostasis within the body by assisting with the regulation of body temperature and water. And that's what homo homeostasis means. It's that perfect balance that the body is always working for. Uh, the skin is also part of your immunity. It's the body's first line of defense acting as a physical barrier, preventing direct 
entry of pathogens, including bacteria and viruses. Antimicrobial peptides, which are called AMPs, and lipids, which are fats, they are on the skin and they act as a biomolecular barrier that disrupts bacterial membranes. So it's a very smart functioning organ. Resident immune cells, both myeloid and lymphoid cells, are present in the skin. And some, um, for, for example, the Langerhans cells or uh, dermal dendritic cells, they can travel to the periphery and activate the greater immune system. So they're kind of like the Paul Revere's, if you will, of the skin. The skin or the integumentary system also helps to provide protection against harmful ultraviol ultraviolet radiation. It is a sensory organ with receptors for detecting touch, pressure, and pain. The skin also detects heat and cold, which is known as thermoregulation. The skin has a large surface area that is highly vascularized, so that means veins and capillaries come in contact with it, which allows it to conserve and release heat through vasoconstriction or when your veins close or they get tight and vasodilate, vasodilation, which is when they open. So the skin does both respectively and wound healing. When our body undergoes trauma with a resulting injury, the integumentary system orchestrates the wound healing process through homeostasis, inflammation, proliferation of um, repair cells, and remodeling with scar tissue. The natural selection of sebum from the millions of sebaceous glands, each associated with a hair follicle on your skin, is slightly oily and furnishes the skin with partially water repellent and antibiotic qualities. So the skin is interesting because it will let some things into the body, but it will repel others out. And there's whole courses just on that, um, on that factoid. Anyway, here's a few other general facts about the skin. Its thickness varies from about um, 1 50th of an inch on delicate areas such as the eyelids to about um, 1 5th of an inch or more on areas of wear and tear such as the soles of the feet. Few body parts renew as rapidly as the skin. Every month, the outer layer, layer called the epidermis is completely replaced at a rate of 30,000 flake-like dead cells every minute. The shedding process from epidermal base to surface takes about four weeks, and a typical person sheds more than one pound of skin every year. And here's the gross part. Dead skin cells combine with other, other particles to create household dust. The average home in the United States collects 40 pounds of dust each year. How would you like to be the researchers who figured that one out? That would be um, a gross chore. And when I say gross, I don't, it's not a pun intended, but it, 
it could have been intended. Anyway, if you collected all of that dead skin, <laughs> you could actually make another small human. The layers of the integumentary system from the outside in are the first thing that you see. I mean, just take a look at your own body. What you see is the epidermis. Right underneath that is the dermis. Underneath that is, or actually before I get there, um, within the dermis grows nails and hair, and that's part of the integumentary system as well. Then underneath the dermis is the hypodermis, and then there's associated glands um, with these structures. Let's talk more specifically about those two layers of skin, the superficial hypo, I'm sorry, <laughs> the superficial epidermis and the deeper dermis. The epidermis is a tough outer layer that acts as the first line of defense against the external environment. The epidermis is made relatively waterproof by the protein called keratin. The cells of the epidermis are constantly sloughing off and are replaced by new cells as they are pushed up and out from below. Not only do the epidermal cells have a lifespan of only about 35 to 45 days, but you are likely to shed some 40 pounds of skin in a lifetime. In fact, about 30,000 to 40,000 dead skin cells fall from your body every minute. 30 to 40,000, that is remarkable. And they're so microscopic, you cannot obviously cannot see it happening. Uh, the skin regenerates or the epidermis regenerates from stem cells located in the basal layer that grows up and out. The epidermis itself is devoid of blood supply and derives its nutrition from the underlying dermis. The epidermis is compo composed of stratified squamous epithelial cells that further break down into four or five layers. So you can really see that this is kind of a, pro a protective shell with many layers from superficial to deep. The primary layers are the stratum corneum, the stratum granulosum, or losum, sorry, stratum spinosum, and stratum basal. In the palms and the sows where the skin is thicker, there is an additional layer of skin between the stratum corneum and the stratum granulosum, and that is called the stratum lucidum. So now you know how that outer layer is formed. There's actually many layers to it. Now let's explore the dermis. Now we're going underneath the epidermis. The dermis is the underlying connective tissue framework that supports the epidermis. The dermis is composed of connective tissue. So think about um, your body as if it's a, a building and it's a building being built and there's scaffolding, okay? Um, the dermis is part of this scaffolding uh, part of the body, so it's pretty much holding you up. Connective tissues are thread through with blood and lymph vessels, sweat glands, hair follicles, and nerves, making the dermis something of a communication system 
and a street and sanitation system for the body. The dermis is not just laying there. It, it, it's functioning like it's very multifunctional. Now the dermis itself is itself um, subdivided into two layers. The first one is the superficial papillary dermis, which forms finger-like projections into the epidermis, known as the dermal, dermal papilla, and it consists of highly vascularized, loose connective tissue. So that's how it nourishes the epidermis, is through these little finger-like projections. Um, and also, if something gets through the, to, to the epidermis and the dermis doesn't like it so much, they can kind of wave them away, um, any little molecules. And then the deep reticular layer, now that has dense connective tissue that forms a very strong network. And that's the part that's really kind of holding us up um, as scaffolding. And then moving on to the hypodermis. The hypodermis lies between the dermis and the underlying organs. It is commonly referred to as subcutaneous tissue. It's composed of loose areolar tissue and adipose, again, that's fat tissue. The hypodermis provides additional cushioning and insulation through its function of fat storage, and it anchors the skin to underlying structures such as muscle and organs. Okay, now for a moment, uh, let's address the function of hair. Hair is also a component of the integumentary system and it extends downward into the dermal layer where it sits in the hair follicle. The presence of hair is a primary differentiator of mammals as a unique class of organisms and especially in humans. Hair is a cherished and highly visible indicator of health, youth, and beauty, but it has a sensory function. Hair protects the skin from cold, UV radiation, and it even helps filter out bacteria. Areas of clinical significance include diseases of hair loss, hair excess, alterations due to nutritional deficiencies, infectious causes, so think like ingrown hair, and effects of drug reactions. And then there is the nail. Nails form as layers of keratin, which is a protein, and appear in the dorsal or the back tips of the fingers and the toes. Nails function to protect the fingers and the toes while increasing the precision of movements and enhancing sensation. So if you do any intricate type of work with your fingertips, um, and most of us are with smartphones, um, typing, um, or, you know, when you have to do your signature on, um, you know, like on a, a computer screen with your finger, um, you can see how the nail is very functional in that process. Um, pathophysiology includes um, fungal infections, okay, which um, you know you might have a fungal infection if there's nail discoloration, um, if there's hyperkeratosis, so it gets really, really thick, um, or if it splits, 
or if there's a complete destruction of the nail plate. Then there's pitting in the nails, which presents in conditions such as psoriasis and eczema. And then there's something called a spoon nail, which can be associated with iron deficiency anemia, or sometimes it's idiopathic. We don't know why spoon nails form. And then there's clubbing. If you have any questions about any funkiness in your nails, talk to a dermatologist. So <clears throat> let's quickly address the integumental associated glands. There are four types of exocrine glands within the human uh, skin, and they are sweat, sebaceous, cerumen, ceruminous, sorry, ceruminous, and mammary glands. So we'll just talk about a few of these. Um, eccrine glands are distributed throughout the body and primarily produce serous fluid, which regulates body temperature. Apocrine glands are present in the axilla and pubic area. So the axilla is your armpits and the pubic area, and that produces milky, protein-rich sweat. These glands are responsible for odor as bacteria break down the secreted organic substance, substances that come in contact with the body. So make sure, that's why people get, you know, BO. So make sure you're really cleaning your armpits and your um, nether regions. Keep that all clean. Uh, sebaceous glands are part of the pilosebaceous unit, which includes the hair, hair follicle, and erector pili muscle. The erector pili muscle is that mechanism that gives you goosebumps. These glands secrete an oily substance called sebum, a mixture of lipids that form a thin film on the skin that you cannot see. This layer adds further protection, prevents fluid loss, and also plays an antimicrobial role. It's really kind of miraculous. So that's it. That is the wonderful integumentary system in a nutshell. Um, dermatologists go to school and they, they can tell you so much more about the integumentary system. And, and we tend to overlook it, but it's, again, it's the largest organ of the body and it's so important to keep it healthy. So, and there's a variety of pathologies that we can talk about that occur within the skin or with the skin. Most, if not all of us, we are intimately familiar with pimples, zits, warts, skin tags, wounds, bruises, burns, moles, hives, dry patches, and many, many other types of skin lesions. So what I want to do today is talk about one um, for which we should all be aware, and that is skin cancer. What is skin cancer? It is the out-of-control growth of abnormal cells in the epidermis, the outmost skin layer caused by unrepaired DNA damage that triggers mutations. These mutations lead the skin cells to multiply rapidly and form malignant tumors. The main types of skin cancer are basal cell carcinoma or BCC, 
squamous cell carcinoma, or SCC, melanoma, and Merkel cell carcinoma, also known as MCC. So skin cancers can look quite different from one person to another due to skin tone, size, and type of the skin cancer, and the location on the body. So it is really vitally important for you to scan your own skin on a regular basis and note any suspicious marks on your body or um, if you see that a mole that you already have or a bump that you already have has changed in some way, you might want to get it looked at. The two main causes of skin cancer are the sun and its harmful ultraviolet rays and using UV tanning beds. The good news concerning skin cancer is if it's caught early, your dermatologist can treat it with little to no scarring and high odds of eliminating it entirely. Often the doctor may even detect the growth of a precancerous um, uh, stage, uh, you know, like a, if they see a growth that is not cancer, but it's at a precancerous stage, they can see that too. And they can get it before it becomes full-blown skin cancer or before it can penetrate below the surface of the skin. So let's talk about the most common skin cancer, basal cell carcinoma. So if you are told um, anywhere along the line that you have basal cell carcinoma, Get it taken care of, but don't worry too much, okay? So let's talk about what basal cell carcinoma is, or BCCs. They are abnormal, uncontrolled growths that arise from the skin's basal cell in the outermost layer of the epidermis. Again, the outermost layer of the skin is the epidermis. These cancers most often develop on um, skin areas typically exposed to the sun, especially the face the ears, neck, scalp, shoulders, back, hands. They can occur anywhere in the body, so watch, but that's where they usually occur. Most BCCs are caused by the combination of intermittent intense exposure and cumulative long-term exposure to UV radiation from the sun. So if you have ever spent lots of time in the sun, even if you did it a long time ago, you should still be watching your skin for changes. As mentioned, BCC is the most common form of skin cancer with approximately 3.6 million cases diagnosed in the United States each year. Fortunately, it is the least serious form of skin cancer. BCCs can be locally destructive though and can disfigure you if they're not detected and treated early. In fact, I knew this woman, she was like telling her father for years, hey, what's that on your nose? And she said she suspected it of being cancer and it was like on his cheek and his nose, like on the cusp of, you know, the, the labial nasal line, it was like right there. And he had done nothing about it and he had it for like 20 years and nothing happened. Um, and finally his wife was like, get that, finally get that off. And I think he was afraid of what he was going to find out. But they were able to remove it, but they had to remove, um, he has a big scar now because he ignored it for so long. Um, so if you see something, 
just get it looked at. And if it's an early form of something, they can get at it. Or if it's just bothering you cosmetically, or if it bleeds, or whatever, um, get it looked at. And these dermatologists are brilliant. They can really handle these very well. So anyway, <clears throat> BCCs can be locally destructive. Occasionally, these cancers can metastasize, and in very rare instances, they can even be fatal. So just see your dermatologist who can remove them. Okay, now let's move on to squamous cell carcinoma. What is that? The squamous cell carcinoma, or the SCC, is also an uncontrolled growth of abnormal cells um, that arise from the epidermis as well, but they're found in the squamous cells rather than the basal cells. SCCs are common on sun-exposed areas, such as the ears, the face, scalp, neck, and hands. These are the places where the skin often reveals signs of sun damage, including wrinkles and age spots. And just like with basal cell, cumulative long-term exposure to UV radiation from the sun and tanning beds causes most SCCs. Squamous cell carcinoma is the second most common form of skin cancer. An estimated 1.8 million cases are diagnosed each year in the United States. SCCs are also very treatable, but they can sometimes grow rapidly and metastasize if not detected or treated early. As many as 15,000 deaths occur from invasive SCC of the skin each year in the U.S. Now again, um, talk to your dermatologist because they kind of look at these um, like basal cell and squamous cells as very treatable, but you don't want them to just be sitting on your skin because um, they can. I mean, there's it's a, a slight chance, but they can become something um, very invasive, um, if not deforming. So get them, get them looked at. And don't be afraid if you hear those terms, basal cell carcinoma, squamous cell carcinoma. It's a bummer. Yeah, and I can understand that it's scary, but get it treated and you'll be okay. <clears throat> now let's talk about melanoma. Now that is a cancer that develops from the melanocytes, which are skin cells that produce the melanin pigment, which gives skin its color. Melanomas often resemble moles, and sometimes they may even arise from a mole that's already there. They can appear on any area of the body, even in areas that are not typically exposed to the sun. Okay, so like they could actually be in your butt crack, for example. Your dermatologist will leave no stone unturned if you give them or, or if you have them give you a complete body scan or if you yourself notice something going on that wasn't there before you know if you're using mirrors to check your own body just do your best you know get a one of those long um, length mirrors and get your naked body in front of it turn it around take a peek around and see if you see anything um, 
check everywhere you can and have somebody check out your scalp. You know, I think that's a wise thing to do, you know, regularly, maybe once a year at least. Okay, so um, the melanoma is often triggered by, again, a kind of intense intermittent sun exposure that leads to sunburn. Tanning bed use also increases risk for melanoma. So be mindful of this as you work on your tan. Now where I live, I was talking to a dermatologist recently because I had to get something checked out and I was fine. But that dermatologist was telling me that she, in her practice, is mostly worried about old people and melanoma. Um, although obviously it does happen in young people, but it also probably has to do with the climate in which we live. Um, I suspect, and I, I think a dermatologist could probably tell you better, I suspect like if you're within the United States, there are some states that have higher incidences of this kind of cancer as opposed to other places. For example, maybe the higher elevations of Utah. And Utah, I picked that out because it's one of those states where you're outdoors. It's a very outdoorsy state and you're outdoors year round. Um, and it's a higher elevation, like I said. So I wonder if maybe melanoma and other skin cancers have a higher incidence there than let's say, well, really, you know, even like a sunny, warm state, because maybe people there are more aware of the dangers of the sun. So they, they're more proactive in um, using sunscreen. I don't know, but I think you should be very aware of your um, exposure to the sun, okay? And again, uh, tanning beds too. So if you're using those, be mindful of how much you're using it and the sunscreen that you're using. In 2023, an estimated 186,680 new cases of melanoma are expected to occur in the United States. And 89,070 cases will be in situ, which is non-invasive, which would be um, preferable <laughs> if you're going to get this at all. Um, it's confined to the epidermis or the top layer of skin. Well, 97,610 cases will be invasive, penetrating the dermis into the skin's second layer or the dermis. So again, early detection is important. So. I'm going to give you the ABCDs, e, say ABCDEs of melanoma detection. A, asymmetry. The shape of one half of the mole does not match the other. If you see something like that, have a doctor look at it. It's not necessarily melanoma, but it could be, so have that looked at, checked out. B, border. The edges are ragged, notched, uneven, or blurred. They're not consistent, they're not defined, okay? C, color, so you, you might see shades of black, brown, and tan, um, and often different colors within the same mole. D, diameter, uh, 
the diameter is usually larger than six millimeters or it was smaller but it grew in size um, D and then E is evolving so if it's changing in any way if it itches if it bleeds sometimes um, if it's growing get it checked out melanoma is the most dangerous of the three most common forms of skin cancer melanoma can be curable when caught and treated early in 2023 melanoma is projected to cause about 7,990 deaths finally let's address merkel cell carcinoma that is a rare and aggressive form of skin cancer these tum tumors usually appear as firm painless lesions or nodules on a sun exposed area about half the time on the head and the neck and frequently on the eyelids although of course the other half of the time they can be somewhere else um, usually associated with a virus called the merkel cell polyomavirus mccs most often arise on sun exposed areas in fair-skinned older individuals about 3,000 new cases of MCC and about 700 deaths from it occur in the U.S. each year, and that is expected to rise. And why do you think it's expected to rise? And I think it's because, um, you know, people are living a little bit longer, although that might be on the decline, but generally speaking, people are living older than they have in previous decades. Um, also, we don't know what's going on with our own stratosphere and atmosphere and ozone. Um, if those are being broken down and UV rays are able to create more damage to the human body, that might be a reason as well. Um, although this one arises with a virus, so what causes that virus to escape? and to attach to a human body so again these are all um questions for a doctor so talk to your doctor mccs are at high risk of recurring and metastasizing through the body so with all of the other cancers like with them early detection and treatment is crucial so how do these cancers get treated, at least the basal cell and the squamous cell, if not melanoma? The most effective technique for treating common skin cancer is Mohs surgery. So it kind of sounds like moles, but it's Mohs, M-O-H-S. Mohs surgery is considered the most effective technique for treating many basal cell carcinomas and squamous cell carcinomas, which are, of course, like we said, the two most common types of skin cancer it's also sometimes called micrographic surgery and this procedure is done in stages it includes lab work while the patient waits this allows the removal of, of all cancerous cells for the highest cure rate while sparing healthy tissue and leaving the smallest possible scar okay so um the advantage of Mohs surgery um, from a pamphlet that I got from the, der der the dermatologist, 
99% cure rate for a skin cancer that has not been treated before and up to 94% of a skin cancer that has recurred after previous treatment. Most surgery is performed by doctors who, specific, who are, they are specifically trained to fulfill three roles. And this is very fascinating because usually in other um, fields, of medicine you have surgeons you have pathologists okay and they all do different things the most surgeon is the surgeon who removes the cancerous tissue they're the pathologist also who analyzes the lab specimens and they are also the surgeon who closes or reconstructs your wound and they're the dermatologist usually who um, pinpoints the problem in the first place Mohs is an efficient, cost-effective treatment that only requires a single visit outpatient surgery used with local anesthesia. Again, the lab work is done on site while you wait, and it has precise results. The physician examines 100% of tumor margins and spares healthy tissue while leaving the smallest scar possible. So they go in, they take this mole away from you. They go in and they, um, they take it into their lab and if they see that it's malignant, they go back to you and make sure that they didn't leave anything in you so that it's all taken out and they just go layer by layer to see what's malignant and what's not. So they're very thorough and very um, successful with most surgery. Now, screening for cancer, the American Academy of Dermatology doesn't specifically recommend regular screening, but it does promote skin self-checks and has long operated a program to help others organize free skin, skin cancer screenings. Also, your dermatologist is more than happy to look at your skin once a year to um, find any suspect lesions and to rule others out as completely normal. For example, I had something on my arm. It's called, called a blue, um, oh, I forgot what it's called. Anyway, it appears to be like a blue mark. Like if somebody poked me with a blue um, pen and left a mark on my arm, looks a little bit like that. So I showed it to her and she just looked at it and she goes, that is completely normal. Okay, and if it wasn't completely normal, she would probably have it removed and looked at. Okay, so um, if a doctor tells you to have a skin cancer screening, that does not necessarily mean you have cancer. They are just suggesting the screening test. And if a screening test is abnormal, you may need more tests to find out if you do have cancer, um, so you'll undergo, undergo diagnostic tests. So that leads us to the question of sun. Really, how much sun should we all be getting? And again, I think it depends on each person and where they live and how mindful they are of how long they're outdoors. Okay, so... Um, The sun is something that I grew up believing 
that we should. We should get sun. It makes us feel good. It provides vitamin D, um, again, a crucial vitamin to our health and a vitamin that the body cannot produce itself that acts so much like a hormone. So I, again, I'm talking to my dermatologist about this. And she pointed out the fact that because over the decades, our atmosphere has been changing, that she's very suspicious of how much it is actually protecting us. So what she um, suggested is that 10 minutes of sun exposure daily um, should be safe with an SPF screening um, or a sunscreen uh, that you wear, you know, a suntan lotion, um, because she said we can get vitamin D from so many other sources now. So we can take it in supplement form. We can take it, um, it's infused in a lot of our drinks and our uh, food. So she said there's so many other ways of getting vitamin D now that we really don't have to rely on the sun. However, that's, that's her point of view. And she's very learned and graduated like at the top of her class. She knows what she's talking about. At the same time, I was reading an interesting article. There are doctors that are named Heather Hying and Brett Weinstein. They are not dermatologists but they are evolutionary biologists. And they seem to have a counter opinion to that directive. And this is their quote, and I'm quoting them directly. They say rather blindly, trusting the science, but learn to do at least some of the logic for yourself and seek authorities who are willing to show you how they arrived at their conclusions. Complex systems are just that, complex. Reducing them to a few easily observable, easily measurable parts can feel like success, but reductionism generally comes back to bite those who practice it. Add to this layer, I'm sorry, add to this hyper novel condition of being able to isolate and synthesize molecules that cause physiological, physiological change and we have a recipe for medicalizing the world, which often makes us less healthy, not more so. And yet, the modern approach to medicine can broadly be characterized as reductionist. For decades now, we have received a nearly universal recommendation to slather ourselves with sunscreen whether we're in, whenever we're in the sun. Reduce your exposure to the sun, the logic goes, and skin cancer rates fall. True enough. Guess what goes up when sun exposure goes down? Blood pressure. And as blood pressure cl climbs, so do rates of heart disease and stroke. People who avoid the sun have higher overall mortality rates than people who seek it. A research study on Swedish women reports this remarkable result. Non-smokers who avoided sun exposure had a life expectancy similar to smokers in the highest sun exposure group, indicating that avoidance of sun exposure is a risk factor for death, 
of a similar magnitude as smoking. So reductionist scientism has misled us yet again and likely caused many deaths. Should we stay out of the sun and take vitamin D or seek moderate sun exposure and get the nutrients we need by seeking something closer to an ancestral diet? An evolutionary analysis suggests the latter. Close quote. So um, for me, I listen to all these different points of view and respect them. Um, I also think we ought to spend a little bit of time in the sun, but we should be mindful of how long that sun exposure is and what kind of sunscreen we use because ironically, some sunscreens are toxic and can themselves cause cancer. So opt for a sunscreen that has all natural products and has been proven to be safe. And again, you can talk to your dermatologist about this or your general doctor might know something about it. I have also found that if I just spend 15 minutes in the sun daily in the warm weather and get out of it after 15 minutes, I have a healthy color by the end of summer and I don't get a burn. Then again, some doctors will point out that a tan itself is skin damage and while it looks healthy, it isn't. So as with everything, become informed on the subject, decide what is good for you and pursue your choices in moderation and with an open mind to accept new information as scientific research is ongoing and new information becomes available. Okay, enough lecturing you about your skin. Bedtime stories from the acoustic bookshelf. We are going to close with a poem called To Health by John Clare. Hail, soothing balm, ye breezes blow. Ransack the flower and blossom tree. All, all your stolen gifts bestow, for health has granted all to me. And may this blessing long be mine. May I this favor still enjoy. Then never shall my heart repine, nor yet its long continuous cloy. And though I cannot boast, O health, of aught beside but only thee, I would not change this bliss for wealth, no, not for all the eye can see. Wealth without thee is useless made, void of the smallest happy spark, yet just as useless to give aid as mirrors set to light the dark. Thy voice I hear, Thy form I see, in silence, echo, streamer cloud. Now that strong voice belongs to thee, which woods and hills repeat so loud. The leaf, the flower, the spiry blade, the hanging drops of pearly dew, the russet heath, the woodland shade, all, all can bring thee in my view. With thee I seek the woodland shade, beset in briery wilds among. With thee I tread the turtled glade, transported by the woodlark's song. 
with thee I wander where the sheep in groups display a checkered train where weedy waters winding creep nor wilt thou fallow clod disdain then hail sweet charm ye breezes blow ransack the flower and blossom tree all all your stolen gifts bestow for health has granted all to me until next week arrivederci